Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Today I'm carrying on in a series I began a few weeks ago called Simply Supernatural. And we've been looking at the supernatural and trying to simplify it, make it accessible to people. And sometimes it's just too inaccessible. And so we're trying to make it alive and well for today. So week one, we talked about Supercharge Me. That was my message title. And it was about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that can do and create in you. And then last week, I asked the question, superhero or sidekick? And we all know this, that we are, as far as Jesus is concerned, we're sidekicks. But when he departed this world, he actually wanted to elevate us to the place of superheroes as well. And so today, my message is entitled, Secrets to the Superpowers. You know that every superhero has a backstory. They all have a secret to their superpower, and so we know where they come, right? So Superman, the secret to his superpowers was he was from Krypton, remember? Remember Spider-Man? The secret to his superpowers were what? He was bit by a radioactive spider. I'm not sure that's a true story, by the way. That seems unrealistic to me. And then you have Thor. The secret to Thor's superpowers is the fact that he's a Norse god, for goodness sakes. So then, of course, he has superpowers. But here's the thing I want to point out to you. All the superheroes, you take them all, you add them all together, none of them can even hold a candle to Jesus. Jesus had better superpowers than every last one of them. Maybe some of them can walk on water, but you know what? None of them can cast out demons, none of them can raise the dead, none of them can heal the sick. Jesus had things that actually transformed people's lives forever. Think of blind Bartimaeus when he got healed. How would his life have changed? He was a beggar and blind for his whole life And now everything changed because he encountered Jesus' superpowers. I mean, how about Lazarus? How did his life change after he was risen from the dead? He had one. That's how his life changed, right? And so we look at Jesus, and and his superpowers are so incredible compared to any other. Now, here's what we find out about superheroes, if you're a bit of a student of them, like I appear to be, and it's this, is that their superpower is characteristic of who they are as a superhero, right? There's always this real connection. Here's what I mean. I'm going to show you superheroes, and you tell me and see if you can guess what their superpower is. So let's start with this one. Elastigirl. Superpower? Yeah, she's very stretchy, is what she is. That one was easy. Uh, How about this one? The Flash. He's super fast. This one is just plain silly. How about the Human Torch? He can light himself on fire. What a stupid superpower. I don't even, I don't, I don't even want that one. How about, how about Thor? How about Thor? What is the superpower? Well, he's the god of thunder and lightning, and he can control thunder and lightning, but how does he do it? Anybody know? His hammer hammer is the secret to his power. Without the hammer, he's nothing. By that uh, context, then Tim the Toolman Taylor is also a superhero (laughs) because he also has a hammer. This one you're not going to get. How about Pie Man? Pie Man, what's his superpower? Well, well, you, you do know this. You know what his secret identity is. Do you know who that is? Can anyone tell? Yeah, that's, that's Homer Simpson, and he's Pie Man. There was an episode about this, and his sidekick was Bart, who was the cupcake kid, for goodness sakes. And I love, I love this, that he, that Superman, or sorry, Pie Man, has the requisite red cape and underpants on the outside. And Homer's got the whitey tighties. It doesn't get any better than that. I don't think so. So you still haven't guessed his superpower. He throws pies in the face of evildoers. It's not much, but it's something, right? And of course, the greatest of all the superheroes, in my opinion, is Superman. He's got all the best superpowers. I mean, he uh, look, look at him. He's, got, he's super strong. He's super fast. He can fly. He's invulnerable. You can't kill him. He's got that x-ray vision thing or lasers. I mean, it goes on and on. He was the first and the best of all the superheroes. But as I said, none of these guys can hold a candle to, to Jesus. And if they are characteristic, if their superpowers are characteristic to who they are as a superhero, the same thing is true with Jesus. 
And let me explain it to you. Let me tell you the story. You remember John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was also the forerunner. And he was declaring the one that was to come. He was declaring the Messiah. And he ends up getting imprisoned. He's just about to be beheaded. And he's sitting in prison. And he's wanting to know for sure that he's been proclaiming the right thing. So he sends a message from prison by one of his disciples to Jesus. And the question was this. Are you the one... Or do we look for another? And Jesus says, you tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised again. And so he says, you go tell him that. So what did he do? He validated who he was as a superhero by his superpowers. Are you following this? And so that's what he did. He declared himself. And here's what I've been trying to say to you in this entire message is that he used signs and wonders as his calling card for the, for the ministry. And that's how everybody knew that he was actually the Messiah. Don't miss this part of the story. We sometimes downplay this. We know he did the miracles, but it was how he was declaring himself as the the Messiah. And you'll remember when he met the nobleman from Capernaum, his son was at the point of death, actually, and he wanted healing. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, you people will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. There's a couple of things I like about that. First of all, he referred to them as you people. You know, you're not allowed to say you people anymore. You people is some sort of an insult. Don Cherry got fired from his job for saying you people. So whatever you do, don't say you people. Now, Jesus did it. Jesus said, you people, you're not going to believe unless you see signs and wonders. So what did he do? He demonstrated signs and wonders. And here's the best part of this story. He expects us to do the same thing. So let's look at it. We're in Mark chapter 16. We're starting at verse 15. And here's what it says. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Here it is. And confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. There's a bunch going on in this passage. But I want to point out something right at the outset. He begins by saying, go into all the world. And you've all heard a sermon on this. You've all heard some preacher stand up and say, the Lord has commanded us to go ye therefore into all the world. Do you know that is not an accurate translation or interpretation of that? This word go, that's not even the verb. It's not an imperative verb. An imperative verb is a command. This is a passive participle. Aren't you glad you come to church and learn grammar? And in the, in, the, in the passive participle, this is what it means. Literally translate it should be, as you're going, since you're going, it's not a command to go. That's not the command. He says, as you're going, since you're going anyway, as you're taking this journey, wherever you happen to go, the command is to preach the gospel wherever you go. And then he tells you, this is where we're really going to drill down on it. And he says, these signs will follow those who believe. And so these signs that he's going to talk about, they are not the domain of evangelists or prophets or apostles, although they do have them. He says that these are for every believer at any time, any place, and anywhere. So this is the key. These are the things for us. These are supposed to be the calling card of the church. But for some reason, we have turned this over to the New Age movement and the occultists and these crazy lunatic people out there writing all kinds of stuff. And we don't realize that the supernatural belongs to the church. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the believer's superpowers because it's listed here what they are i'm going to throw them up on the screen those who believe here they are number one casting out demons number two speaking in tongues number three snake handling aren't you excited about that when we get to that one i know you are you're gonna like that one and number four healing the sick 
So let's start with this first one. He tells us that we are supposed to be casting out demons. It's all the way through the Gospels. We're told to do this. But we've kind of got messed up. And you know what messed us up? You know why we don't really understand casting out demons? Because too many of us saw the movie The Exorcist. How many of you saw that movie when it came out? It came out in 1973. I actually went and saw it. I was underage. I snuck in. Me and my friend Mike went to see this movie because it was a restricted movie. And of course, it was a crazy movie. You got Linda Blair, who's playing the little girl. She's demon possessed. She could spin her head right around 360. I almost did it myself. And and uh, she used to have projectile vomit that went out out of her mouth. Uh, you know, ten feet. And I'm telling you, people were screaming and terrorized in the theaters in 1973. You know, if that movie came out today, it'd be a comedy. We would think it was funny. (laughs) People go to zombie movies and they laugh all the way through them. They're projecting vomit and they're spinning their heads around. uh, You know, way grosser than this. But I'll tell you, in 73, this was... I mean, me and Mike, we didn't sleep for a week after that. I wish I'd never seen it. And here was the problem. It presented demon possession as this dramatic and rare occurrence... And the exorcism was this unique, special person with holy water and a crucifix and this battle between good and evil. It was so inaccurate compared to what we see in Scripture. Because what you see is Jesus just going through life, casting demons out calmly out of people. For the most part, it wasn't a big deal. Now, I think one of the big problems for us is the mistranslation of the word or words demon possession. Because that's what, how it's worded. It actually says, and Jesus came across a man who was possessed by a demon. So we assume that that means that he was demon possessed. The problem is that's not the word that is there in the Greek language. The word that is there is diamonazo, which means demonized. It's not demon possession. It's demonized. And demonized means to be under the influence of a demon. It means to be afflicted or to be vexed by a demon. And my question for you is, who hasn't been vexed by a demon? And here's, here's the, the challenge we have, because people look at this, they think demon possession is this some sort of extreme thing. And then I, I hear Christians say this all the time. They say to me, well, a, demon, a, a Christian can't be demon possessed because you cannot be possessed by the Holy Spirit and also a demon at the same time. You're either possessed by one or the other. I'd probably agree with that. The problem is that's not what the, the, the word there says. It says demonized. And so when people come to me, Christians come up and they say, Pastor Mark, can you as a Christian be demonized? To which I said, can I be? No. Can you? Probably. <laughs> and I'm not just being facetious. I'm making a point here. Because here's the thing we need to know about demons. Demons don't just afflict you for no reason. There is an invitation. There is a door that got opened, and that allows them in. You look at Jesus. Was Jesus ever demonized? Jesus was not demonized. He He got tempted by demons. He had encounters with demons. But the demons could not touch him. He never got sick. He never got depressed. He never got anxiety. They couldn't even kill him, right? He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. They couldn't touch Jesus. And he, you remember the story, they tried to push him off a cliff. Do you remember that? What did it say he did? He walked through the crowd. <gasps> you guys are a bore. And, and so what is it? What is it that opens the door to the demonic? And, and I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's very, very simply sin and all the stuff that goes with sin. Let me, let me show you. Here, here's the verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Here it is. Nor give place to the devil. What does that tell you? That you can give place to the devil. And, and he's listed two things, anger and wrath. But you take all of these things, anger, wrath, and uh, uh, hatred, and violence, and all of these things that people live with, and those things can be an open door to the enemy. And I'm going to say it again. I don't think anybody's afflicted by a, a demon that doesn't in some way open the door to that thing. And here's what Jesus said about himself, if you don't believe me. Here's what he said about himself. It's John chapter 14. He said, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Why did the enemy have nothing in Jesus? Because he lived a sinless and a perfect life. Now, I'm not saying you have to live a sinless and a perfect life, but it does help. 
<laughs> right? And so we see what Jesus did was he did not open the door. And he's telling us, the scripture is telling us the same thing. Don't open the door to the demonic because if you do, he will come rushing in. And we, and we know he will because this is how Jesus taught it. He said, if I cast out a demon, that demon will leave and it will wander in dry places and finding no rest, it will return to where it came and finding the house swept and clean, he will bring seven more demons more wicked than him and the state of that person will be worse than the first. You following that? See, demons don't like to... They don't live in haunted houses. They don't live in deserts. You know where where demons want to live? At your house. That's where they want to. And so you have to learn how to shut the door. Jesus said there was no place in him for the demonic. And so there's a whole bunch of things. I could give you a very long list of things that are open doors. You can probably figure it out on your own. It's not very difficult. But I want to give you one because it just is a good illustration. And, and it has to do with drugs. Here's the word. The word sorcery in the, the Bible, New Testament, is, means witchcraft. It means the occult. And here's what it is. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. In the English, or sorry, in the Greek language, it's the word pharmakia. In the English, it's where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical from. And what we found out was the magical arts of the sorcerer actually oftentimes use drugs. And I'll tell you why. A lot, not all drugs, but a lot of drugs have the ability, particularly if they're hallucinogenics, particularly if they're altering people's state of minds. I believe, and you can agree or disagree with me, I believe that they are a gateway to the demonic. And, I, and that is why I am so adamantly opposed of legalizing of cannabis and other drugs. And people say they're harmless. And I don't believe that for a minute. I think that when we imbibe in these drugs, what we have done, we have entered in, we've opened up this door to the demonic activity. And that's why I feel like it is so dangerous. And I become a bit of a lone voice on this because even Christians today say, well, it's illegal and how bad and it makes me feel good. And I'm thinking, you don't realize that we, you are playing with fire here. Now, I want to tell you a story that has really influenced how I think about this. True story. When I was uh, 16 years old, I worked at the Canadian Tire, which was right down the street here, where the Holiday Inn South is. It used to be a Canadian Tire when I was a kid. And I worked in the sporting goods department there. And it was kind of a crazy thing, because at 6 o'clock, the managers all went home, and they basically left the whole store in the management of a bunch of 16-year-olds. So I ran the sporting goods department from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock every night, and that was my part-time job in high school. And my sidekick, I'm going to call him that, his name was Paul. I was clearly the superhero because he was as dumb as a post. And, and, and Paul decides that he's going to uh, start being a drug dealer is what he decided to do. And so what he did was he bought a blotter of LSD, of acid, and he was literally at the sporting goods desk with the sporting goods scissors cutting up the blotter into little tabs of acid. And then his first customer, he was selling drugs from the sporting goods counter. So if you need to know where you go, you go to Canadian Tire. And, and, <laughs> and he's selling drugs. So the first customer he ever had, I'm not going to say his name, but he was the worst thug in all of Fort Gary. I grew up in this neighborhood. He was the worst thug. He was scary, this guy. And he came in and he bought a bunch of acid from Paul and he was all excited. He sold it for $3 a tab. And then, then he turned to me He's asking me for advice. He turned to me and he said, I'm really worried about this because if that acid's no good, I don't know, I've never tested it, uh, so-and-so's going to kill me. I say, yeah, probably. And he says, I better test it. So he dropped acid on the job. It was about 7 o'clock at night. He dropped a hit of acid. About 10 minutes later, he said, Mark, it's not working. I said, that's not my problem. So he decides, because he was starting to panic at that point, to drop a second tab, which he did. About 15 minutes later, he had disappeared. I didn't see him for the rest of the night, which I was grateful. About 10 to 9 at night, it's almost time to start closing up the store. And uh, I'm thinking, where did Paul go? I don't know where he went. Now, the storage area was upstairs. In, in that building. And so I thought, maybe he went upstairs. I couldn't find him anywhere. I hadn't seen him for like two, almost two hours. And so I went upstairs, and I find him. He's lying in a big heap like this in all his hockey equipment and stuff that he'd knocked down. He was in a big heap. He's got a knife out, a hunting knife off the shelf, 
and he was literally carving up his finger with the knife, carving flesh off his finger. He thought it was a stick. And I yelled at him, and I said, Paul, what are you doing? And he looked up, and he saw me. He grabbed that knife like this, and he charged at me and was going to thrust me with this knife. Now, I had to think quick about this, and so there was a, a stack of shovels beside me, and I grabbed one of those shovels. It was a, a spade. He ran at me, and I swung that shovel as hard as I could and hit him right flat side, right in the chest, knocked him to the ground, knocked the wind out of him, and in my opinion, knocked the devil right out of him. <laughs> This is my first deliverance. <laughs> this is why they, they started making a TV show about my exploits. It was called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, but it was based on me, Marky the Demon Slayer. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was, after that experience, I had decided, after what I saw and how it affected this young man, that I was never, ever going to touch drugs. It just wasn't going to happen. And I didn't. I haven't done drugs. I barely will take an aspirin today. I am, because there are even prescription drugs that I think have the potential for this same thing. Now, and I'm talking about opioids and those kind of drugs. You know what I'm talking about. So we have all kinds of open doors to the devil. The scripture says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Acts 10.38. So when he sent the 70 out, you remember this story, he sent the 70 out, and uh, he told them to preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And so the 70 came back, Luke chapter 10, the 70 came back rejoicing, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So Jesus says this, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you will trample and tread upon scorpions and by serpents, and they will by no means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss about this. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Don't think for a minute that you are more powerful than demons. You are not. Demons are powerful. Satan is powerful. The devil is powerful. But what he has given you is authority over that power. And this is the key to the whole thing. We may not be more powerful, but we have an authority. And where does your authority come? From above. In my name. And he said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And the reason it works, the reason we have authority over demonic power is because we are recognized in heaven as children of God. And because of that, we have the ability to deal with the powers that are demonically affecting the world around us. So I want to tell you a little story about this. Because I think, how, how, do we, how do we exercise this authority? How do we initialize it in our life? Because you can't just go around, uh, you know, screaming at people and telling demons to come out of people. They're not going to like it. You, know, you don't want to go around and say, come out, you foul spirit. You unclean spirit, come out. You know what? You're not going to have any friends if you act like R.W. Schumbach. Uh, and you just can't go around talking like that. And so what I'm suggesting to people is Jesus gave us this authority to cast out demons. But he, he did it because, or, or sorry, he did it so that we could deal with it. But we need to do it in a way that's not going to offend people. And so here's what I'm suggesting, that, that if you encounter something that looks demonic, you know, be cautious how you do it. You don't want to unnecessarily offend people, or, or like I say, you're not going to have any friends left. So I want to just tell you one little, one little story about this. So um, I don't know, it was about four or five years ago, we were doing our dog and pony show in Edmonton, and uh, we were in this hotel, and uh, we were all done, we were packing up for the night, and we were in the hotel lobby, and this woman had waited till everybody was gone. And then she came up to me, and we were just, re- just about ready to get in the van and go. And she came up to me, and she said, Pastor Mark, would you pray for my son? And I said, I said sure, what does he need pray- prayer for? And she said, he's sitting right over there, and uh, he- he's a meth addict, and I don't know what to do, and he's a mess, and will you pray for him? And I said, yeah, I would. So I go over there, and he was sitting on this bench, about 22, 3 years old, something like that. I looked in his eyes. The moment I looked in his eyes, 
I could tell. You, you can see the devil in people's eyes when they're whacked out on meth. I'm telling you. They are just lost in space. And uh, he had entered this foggy world. He was fidgety. He couldn't concentrate. And, and finally, I, I said to him, I said, I, I'll, if you want me to, I'll pray for you. Uh, do you want to be free? And he said he did. He said he wanted to be free. And I said, I'm going to get bold here, and I'm going to get aggressive. And so do I have permission to do that? And he said, he said, yeah, in whatever way. I asked mom. I said, mom, are you okay? Because I said, I'm going to cast a demon out of him. Are you okay with that? And she said, yeah, you, you go for it. And uh, she wanted her son free. Now, remember, I'm in a hotel lobby. I'm not yelling my head off. But I, I was assertive. And I said, I take authority over the spirit of addiction in this young man, and I command you to leave, and I command you foul spirit to come out of this man. It was about that strong and about that loud, and uh, I didn't want all the people in the lobby to hear this. And I cast the the demon out of this, this young man. And so then he looked a little clearer after the fact, uh, but I wouldn't know the results because I never saw them again until a year later. So a year later, we're back in the very same location, same venue. And at the end of the night, this woman comes up to me and says, do you remember me? And I, and I did. And I said, yeah, I remember you. And she said, uh, my son was here last year, and you prayed for him. And I just want you to know that he completely got off meth. He got back into his right mind. He's got himself a job, and his life is back on track. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, He came to set the captives free, and he through the sun sets free is free indeed. So the first thing, and I think you probably understand how we do it, is that we cast out demons. The second thing is that we speak with new tongues. I talked all about that in lesson one on this, so you can go review that if you, were, if you didn't catch it. It's called Supercharge Me, and you can see it on our website, and you can stream it. So we're going to jump right to number three, my favorite. I mean, you've been waiting for this one? It's snake handling. He said, you will take up snakes and drink deadly poison, and they will by no means harm you. You know, there's really only one way for me to teach this. I probably need to demonstrate it. I think that's the best thing I can do. Vanda, can you grab that box? It's right under your feet there. Yeah, I've had it there this whole time. Bring it up here, and whatever you do, don't open that lid. Whatever you do, don't look in. You know, Wheel of Fortune has a Vanna. We have a Vanda. Hey, Vanna. <laughs> All right, okay. Thank you. Did, did you hear that hissing? That was you, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's give Vanda a hand. <laughs> Are you, are you guys ready for this? You know where this is going, don't you? You got this figured out? You excited? This is going to be the most fun you've ever had in church, I'm telling you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is going to... Oh, my goodness. Oh, are you not going to believe this? Ah! <laughs> Look at the serpents. Look at them. Guess what I just did? I picked up serpents, and thus far they haven't harmed me. Oh, here comes one to you. Oh, here comes one to you. Watch out. Oh, I got a couple of other good ones in here. Oh, look at this. A copperhead. Oh, a rattlesnake. Look at that. You see me doing this? Have you ever seen anything like this in church? Isn't this fantastic? Why are none of you impressed? (laughs) I'm handling snakes like there's no tomorrow, and you're just laughing at me like I'm goofing off. Let me tell you the history of the snake handling movement. You're going to love this. So there's only really one place in the world you can find Pentecostal churches that do snake handling, and it's in the Appalachian region of the U.S. So that's Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and West Virginia and uh, all those kind of places. And it really goes back to a, a guy by the name of George Hensley. You're going to love this. He was a Pentecostal preacher and a moonshiner. <laughs> You can't make this stuff up. Well, you could, but I'm not. And anyway, what happened? He was praying for God's will for his life, and he had just finished reading Mark 16. And they shall take up snakes, and they shall not harm them. And so he went off into the woods to pray, to try to find God's direction for his life. And would you imagine, as fate would have it, he found a snake. A rattlesnake came up. So he picked up the snake like this, and the snake did not harm him. 
So he knew what his call was, and he started bringing snakes into church meetings. And of course, here's a picture. Here he actually is. And people were loving it. I mean, who wouldn't love it, right? And you come to church, and the pastor's got a snake, and he's holding it up and, and talking about it. And, and their whole thing was this, that if you believe, because these signs will follow them that believe. So then if you really believed, you could take up the snake, and it wouldn't harm you. And so it was a test of faith. And I mean, look at this next picture. Uh, well, look carefully. That's a baby in the front row in that woman's lap. And they got that snake, right? And, and that guy's having more fun than you know, a barrel of monkeys, isn't he? And they, they had these, these big revival meetings that went on. And uh, I love this one. Uh, that lady's got a snake on, his head, on her head. Look how much fun she's having. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to go to one of these services? I would. I would love to see this go on. Anyway, let me tell you the rest of the story. So in 1953, George Hensley goes down to Florida. He's holding a service, and he goes to his box, and he, and he picks up a snake like this, and he does his snake trick with it, and he does this test of faith. And as he's putting it back in the box, it lashes out, and it bites him. Now, he'd been bitten before. He'd always recovered. He wasn't going to go to the hospital. He didn't go to the hospital, and he died. That's what happened. Apparently, the snake took the command literally. You shall take up snakes. Didn't say anything about what happens when you put them down again. Because that's when the snake bit them. There's 125 churches still in the U.S. today where they do snake handling. The last guy to die was this guy. His name is Pastor James Coots. Uh, and uh, his father was a snake handler. His son is still a snake handler to this day. And he didn't do a service where they didn't have snakes. He looks like he's had a pretty good time. He had been bitten nine times. And then on the tenth time, he died. Apparently, he was like a cat and only had nine lives. Man, I'm cruel, right? And uh, anyway, this stuff's going on, even to this day. I mean, don't ask me why. Apparently, these hillbillies forgot to keep reading the Bible. Because if they read into the book of Acts, they'd know a little bit more. If they read into the epistles, they'd know even more. Are you ready for this? Because they saw it as a test of faith. That if you had faith, you could take up these serpents and they would not harm you. And so they would test things. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You, You draw your own conclusions from this. Say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm a little confused. Why are you telling us snake handling is our superpower and now you're making fun of these guys? Because that was never the intent, was it? And I think where you find out is you go into the book of Acts, Acts 28, you find Paul, he's being transferred from Jerusalem to Rome to be tried. Uh, They're shipwrecked in the Mediterranean. They end up on the island of Malta. You'll remember the natives were kindly to them and brought them in. They were sitting around the fire. One night, Paul went and he was gathering firewood. And what happened? A viper came and attached itself to Paul's arm. Attached itself. What did Paul do? He shook it off and carried the wood to the fire. And it says, and the natives stared at them. He never stopped, they never stopped staring. They stared at him saying, this man must be a murderer because he got bit by a snake and now he's going to die and be punished. Right? And they watched intently and he did not get sick. He did not convulse. He did not fall down. He did not die. And here's how it says it. It says, and so they changed their minds that therefore he must be a god. (laughs) That's a big reversal in fortune. And here's here's the long and the short of it. What is the whole point of this? The whole point of this is God is saying that your superpower is that he is going to divinely protect you. Not that you should go pick up snakes, not that you should go drink deadly poison, but if you encounter calamities and tragedies in this world, that you will be safe. That's what Psalm 91 is all about. He who abides under the shadow of the Most High. God actually protects his people, and that people is a superpower. So first of all, what do we do? We cast out demons. Secondly, we speak with new tongues. Thirdly, we don't handle snakes, if you can possibly avoid it. And number three, you can heal a sick. So here's what it said. It says that they shall lay hands on the sick, and what? And they will recover. Here's the way I always put it. I know I repeat myself on this, but it's really important. 
This is a partnership between us and God. We have our part. He has his part. Our part is to lay hands on the sick. What's God's part? To heal them. It's his job to heal them. It's not our job. It doesn't tell you to heal a sick. We can't heal a sick. We have no power to heal a sick. All we have power to do is to be the conduit. And what we do is we lay hands on people. And then by faith, we expect God to show up and do the healing. And for me, I find this very liberating. Because I don't have to take the responsibility of when I pray for someone to actually heal them. Because you know what? I can't do that. Neither can you. And so then I have the easy part. God has the hard part. All I have to do is pray for someone. And if God shows up, they get healed. And if God doesn't show up, they don't get healed. That's not my problem. It's sad when someone doesn't get healed. It's sad when you go to the hospital and someone dies. I understand that. But I can't change that because I can't heal anybody. You know, I always have Christians that come up to me and say, Pastor Mark, I don't understand it. Can you explain this to me? I did what the Bible said. I laid hands on the sick and they did not recover. What happened? I said, let me explain it to you. Here's what happened. You laid hands on the sick and they didn't recover. That's what happened. Aren't you glad I explained stuff like this to you? It's not your job to heal them. It's your job to merely be obedient to do your part of it. And then you leave the results up to God. Don't you like that? That we don't have to make it happen? I find it very liberating. I feel I can be really bold because the responsibility isn't on me, it's on God. So I have one last final story here I want to tell you about this. So a number of years ago, I know exactly when it was. It was 22 years ago because someone reminded me that they were actually at this meeting. 22 years ago, I got invited by this group. I can't remember the exact name of the organization, but it's a group of Christian doctors and nurses that meet once in a while. And they were having this meeting in this home, and they asked me to come and speak on divine healing. Now, I'm a little intimidated by this. I know you all think I'm a doctor, but I'm not. I just play one on television. And, uh, and uh, I thought, what am I going to do? A bunch of doctors and nurses, they know stuff like diagnosis and prognosis, and they know what diseases are, and they know how, you know, the morphology and the physiology of these diseases. I don't know any of that. I don't know how these drugs work and what they're prescribing. I don't know anything. And I thought, how am I going to go in there and tell them how to deal with this from a supernatural... So I was really, really intimidated. So I went, and I kind of gave it my best shot, and said, well, I know you guys kind of have x-ray machines and drugs and treatments and surgeries, and like, here, I lay hands on people. That's what I do. <laughs> it just seems so woefully inadequate, what I was telling them. And I thought, I'm doing the worst job here. I am not convincing them. In fact, I'm not even convincing myself. That's how poor a job I was doing. So when I was done speaking, this guy came to my rescue as a doctor. And his name was Dr. Frank Dirksen. And it's a fascinating story of his. Uh, he was born uh, to a missionary family in Paraguay. And uh, then what they did was they sent him to medical school. He ended up becoming an orthopedic surgeon. And he actually worked in Brazil and in Paraguay and Ethiopia. And his primary thing was he was a missionary doctor working with leprosy patients and doing and pioneering reconstructive surgery. And then he ended up landed in Winnipeg. His kids and, and grandkids actually came to this church at the time. And uh, he ended up in Winnipeg doing orthopedic surgery. And he stood up. Uh, I'd never met him before. He stood up and he says, I have a story I think could possibly help. And he said, a few months ago, uh, we had a woman come down from north. She had extreme diabetes. She had got an injured leg. Uh, it became infected. It became gangrenous. And I, I examined her and I was going to have to amputate the leg from the knee down. And so he says, I took off the bandages, and there was this black, dead, necrotized skin. And so he said, I took my, my scalpel, and I put, I put six one-inch long incisions into it just to drain the fluid out. And the next day, I was going to operate and amputate the leg. And there was a woman who was sitting, actually kneeling at the bedside, quietly praying. And that turned out to be her sister, and I didn't think anything of it. The next day, we wheeled her into the OR, and as I was unwrapping the bandages around her leg, the black dead skin peeled off her leg with the bandages, revealing underneath perfectly formed brand new skin. And he said the best part of the story was there was six 
healed incisions right where I put them in her leg. And he says, so Pastor Mark, just so you know, there was someone in that room, I was doing what I do, but there was someone in that room laying hands on the sick, and they did recover. Boy, I'm glad I brought him to the meeting. <laughs> yeah, you gave the Lord a show. So those are the superpowers of, of the believer. If we will believe, these signs will follow us. We'll cast out demons. We'll speak with new tongues. We will, we will be exposed to deadly snakes and poisons, and they won't harm us. And above all, we will lay hands on the sick, and God will show up and heal them. And that's why we can make a difference in this world. This world is desperate for the supernatural. They need help, and it is the calling card of the church and nothing else because he has promised us that these Signs will follow them that believe. Let's stand together. So we're going to do two things real quick. I'm going to cast out demons from me and pass out snakes. No. <laughs> we're going to do two things real quick, so don't run away. Uh, the first thing is this. I need to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment if you would. Because I know in this room there's people who you're not sure if your name is written in heaven. And so if it's not, if you don't know if you're on your way to heaven, if you don't know that if you were to die this day or this week or this month, you go to heaven, I'm talking to you. And it all begins by inviting Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just slip up your hand if you would. Just take a moment, slip up your hand. Thank you on the far side. Anybody else? Nobody's looking around. Thank you in the front. Thank you on the side. Super. All right. You can put your hands down. If you're online, there's a little hand that comes up and you can just click that icon and you're making that same decision. So this is super important for us to say this prayer. So we're all going to say it together because I said I wouldn't single anybody out. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That though I was a sinner, you died for my sin and you took it away. And you rose again on the third day. And you forever lived to be my Lord. And my name is now written in heaven. And I am a Christian. And these signs will follow me. Because I believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout, shall we? Before we move on, those of you that just raised your hand a moment ago, there, there's a table over there called Discovery. There'll be people standing by. We have a Bible for you, a copy of my book, A Greater Purpose. We want to talk to you about what the next steps as a Christian would be. So visit that on conclusion here. Also online, you just click Next Steps, and you'll get more or less the same thing. All right, we're going to do one more thing. We're going to do an activation. We're going to be doing this every week. We're going to be actually acting on what we have learned and uh, today we're going to do a little bit different. I'm not going to have you run around laying hands on people. But here's what we want to do. Uh, this morning and last night, uh, we invited people that were in extreme pain. We invited them to come forward. We prayed for them individually, but to collectively as a group, we prayed for these people. Last night, we had seven people come up with uh, some very serious pain. Do you know that six of the seven went either away completely pain-free or mostly pain-free? including one gal that had rheumatoid arthritis in every joint of her body. And she was so happy. She was crying. Uh, her fingers, when she came up, they were all swelled up. And she was able to close her hands for, without pain for the first time in, in years. And she was crying like a baby there. God had touched her. We did it again this morning. A whole bunch of people were pain-free. And so if you have pain in your body, anywhere in your body, don't care what the cause is, I want you to come up front right now. Don't miss out on this. God's going to touch you, and uh, you're, going to get, you're going to get that pain released from you. And the thing I love about this is I don't have to make anything happen. It's, that's Jesus' part, right? You all got that, right? Wait, thanks, Alvin. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, uh, I won't necessarily ask you all, but I'm just going to go along here. You just tell me where the pain is. And then we're, we're going to come back and I'll explain how we're going to do this. So just real quick, just tell me where the... Let's make sure this is on. It's not on. Where's the pain? Yeah, uh, basically my uh, right knee. Right knee? Just above my break in my back. You're, you're broken back? Back, you have pain? Shoulder. 
Shoulder. Back and right leg. And neck and shoulder. Feet. My left knee. I mean, thigh. Left thigh. My back. Hip sacrum. Shoulder. It's not pain, but there's something going on with my ears. Okay. Yeah. Lower back. Lower back. Lower back and left shoulder. Lower back. Mike. Your neck. No. Your neck. Okay. Who's who's got who's got pain? They would describe as uh, uh, eight, eight out of ten or worse. Eight out of ten or worse. Uh, anybody? How how much pain are you in? Scale one to ten. Nine. You're in nine. So you're in a lot of pain right now. And, and where is it? In your left shoulder, is it broken or just pain? You don't even know why, just got pain. All right, we're going to start here. We're going to pray for everybody, don't worry. But, uh, you know, we would, we would love to, uh, um, you know, we say lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I'm going to get us all to lay hands on this one person at a time. And you know how you do that? Right where you are. You're just going to reach out your hand like this. Well, I didn't catch your name. What's your name? Kimberly. Kimberly. So we're going to pray for Kimberly. She's got 9 out of 10 pain in her left shoulder. Uh, I'll be the one that's actually going to lay hands on her, but we're all doing this together. How many of you believe that the Lord will confirm his word today with signs following? Yeah. And you all do. And if you're online, you just put your hand on whatever part of the body is in pain, and, and you know God's just as much there as he is here. So we're going to do this. So let's all reach our hands towards Kimberly. We're going to pray for everybody. We're going to start with Kimberly. And, uh, and Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus for your word. Your word has said, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So Father, we are doing our part right here and right now. And we are laying hands on Kimberly. And we are thanking you that whatever the cause of this is, that you can remedy it. And Father, if she needs reconstructive surgery, you can supernaturally do that. And Father, the inflammation, the pain, and everything going on in this shoulder, Father, we thank you that the pain is gone. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Father, we thank you that the pain has been released. We're just going to take a moment. We're going to come back and, and talk in a moment. But let's just, just go through these people. We're just going to pray real quick for them. Father, I just thank you for, for releasing everyone from this pain and everyone from this discomfort and everything that we heard today. In the name of Jesus, just begin to pray where you are and believe that by faith God is touching these people and healing their, their bodies and healing their afflictions and releasing them from their pain in the name of Jesus. And thank you, Father, that each one is healed and restored that the pain is gone, that the back is restored, the healing comes in the name of Jesus. Father, release your Holy Spirit. We act on your word, that we lay hands on the sick, and we believe that you will do the rest, and that they shall recover. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Just say, everybody say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, release the pain now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Say, say it with me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, you said that you would confirm your word with signs following. And we thank you, Father, that right now in this room, backs and knees and hips and necks and ankles and every other part of the body is healed in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the release from pain in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now we're going to take a minute. How many of you are either pain-free or a significant reduction in pain? Just throw up your hand. I'm going to start with Kimberly over there. Tell me what's going on, Kimberly. I could actually move my arm a little bit better. You couldn't move it before at all? I could, but not like I am now. Thank you. And what's the pain level? Five. It's down from from nine to a five already? Father, just keep releasing that shoulder. Just keep releasing that shoulder in the name of Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Whatever that... If it's a neck, move your neck. If it's a knee, you know, move your knee. If it's a foot, start to stamp that foot. Whatever you couldn't do before, just do it as a bit of a uh, of an act of faith. You go, okay, Lord, you can do this thing. You can do it. Move your hips. Do the everybody do this. This is always fun. Do a little dancing here, a little Elvis the pelvis. All right, uh, who else has a significant reduction in in pain? I couldn't move my arm higher than this, but look at this. I can move my hand up. 
Hey, was, it, was it your right or your left? It was a frozen shoulder and torn rotator cuff. All right. Let's give the Lord a shout. Who, who else? Uh, I had broken my, all my fingers because a windowsill fell on it. Oh. And I have all these little tingling feelings and, and they're reducing. They're going away. I, I just sense a less, lesser uh, cramps, like a little nervous. It's my nervous system. You actually broke them? <laughs> well, I was taking the... I was taking the air conditioner out of the window and I put my fingers on the window and boom, it fell and I broke every little bone here, I think. Every, every one. And it's affected me, my nervous system. It's like little yeah. pins and needles in there, yeah. but they're going away. As I'm you, feel like, you feel like right now this pain is releasing in these hands. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Anybody else having a, re- a significant reduction in pain? Parker. Yeah, I feel before it's like I have a really tight backpack strap. On. That's what it feels like, and it also um, just hurts my neck a lot. And uh, as we were praying, it just felt this release, like almost like blood just pouring down through my through my arm and through my chest. I could feel again. I could move my neck again without feeling a numbness run so up my. How, how much pain are you? In? None. You're in no pain. None. And you and you like do this for a living. You're like an American Ninja Warrior guy, aren't you? You you need to be you need to be better, don't you? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, he works at YFC doing that Ninja Warrior stuff. And so you got to be well. I'd like to come there and show you how to do it. <laughs> Anybody else feels a significant release in pain? Yes, sir. I have difficulty when I try to shift to get myself up to adjust. And I just did it now, and I felt hardly any pain. All right. Thank you, Lord. Father, that which you've begun, we pray that you would continue for our brother here in the name of Jesus and bring total healing. Uh, Father, we are so grateful. And uh, we know that you're the healer. And we don't have to make anything happen. But we want to be obedient. We want to be bold. We want to pray for the sick. We know that the church needs to step out in this stuff and to see people released from pain and discomfort. We have a hurting world out there. Father, would you take us all? We saw healings today. We saw miracles today. Lord, would you take us out into our our workplaces, our schools, our homes, our communities, our neighborhoods, our friendships. Father, let us be a beacon of hope. Let us be those who would bring the power of God to a world that is broken and lost and in such need of Jesus. And we thank you for it in your mighty name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big shout today. I just want to encourage you folks and those online to report back to us. A lot of times we see people walk out here and they were a a seven in pain and they left a five and by the next day they're a zero and we get emails all the time like this. And so God is not done working in these people or in you. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.